you from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 28. Speaks of Jesus and says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I've become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. Good morning, everybody. Looking at my family. I want to say thank you, first of all. Thank you to all of you. You really are amazing. I don't even know if you realise how amazing you are. Because I'm a missionary in Brazil, and the way that you love me and support me, um, you really are the model church. I hope you feel very proud of yourselves. I know we shouldn't be proud, but you can just today. Um, Because if I ever have to give an interview about how a a church should support a missionary, then I will cite you. Because you don't only pray for me, I know you pray for me, because many of you um, tell me that you do, and I I know because you you reply to my prayer messages. Um, You support me as a church, Many of you support me or the project individually. Um, Darling Jan makes her jams to raise money for me, her delicious jams. If you haven't had one of her jams, you need to eat them because I've heard that they're really delicious. And I've got a jar today that I'm going to take back to Brazil and eat. And I'm going to remember Jan. (laughs) That would be amazing. But thank you, Jan, because I know Jan works really hard doing that. There's the Christmas card appeal that you do. Instead of giving Christmas cards, you give money to us. Um, there's the house group that raises money. Um, you, you just are incredible. So thank you. Um, and keep doing it. And uh, when I get my opportunity to 
to talk about you, I will definitely talk about Brighton Road Baptist Church because you're very special. And today I feel like a, a daughter coming home. Um, I really f- feel part of the family. So thank you so much. Um, I am so excited with what is happening in San Paolo. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I've been there nearly 21 years now. Um, and the project has grown. Um, we have a great board of directors. I've got a great team that continued the work while I've been back here. Um, it's just so exciting. We've got invitations from other prisons to start the work there. Um, so I'm so excited about what's happening. And I've got a little video um, today to show you, um, just so you have a few ideas of some of the what's going on. And we'll show that first, and then I'll, I'll talk. My name is Kali Magalhães, and I'm the director of the Eagle Project in São Paulo, Brazil. We work in prisons with teenage boys and adult women. We offer them a new start, putting their past behind them and dreaming of a different future. We use a method called psychodrama, so they have the opportunity to go into role as their victims, their victims' relatives, the police officer who arrested them, their mum, their children. We're seeing amazing results. Up to 80% have not re-offended. We have waiting lists in the prisons for all of our groups. But it doesn't end there. When they leave the prisons, we accompany them and their families. An example is that a few weeks ago, we helped a young girl who was looking after all her brothers and sisters while her mum was in prison, unemployed, no food in the house, and she was desperate to go to an interview the next day but had no bus fare. So we topped up her transport card, she went to the interview, got the job, and the next day was back at work. Such a small gesture, but it made such a difference to that family. We're now going to visit two of our boys who are accompanied by the project, who were in the youth prison and are now doing really, really well. Louise Nhiki and Wallacey. antes do projeto era bem difícil, vivia na comunidade bastante pobre, eu aprendi o errado achando que era certo. Desde os meus 12 anos eu praticava assaltos e tal, fui para a fundação, saí, depois de dois meses reincidi, já estava decidido a ficar na vida do crime, não queria sair e assim que eu saí da tranca me inscreveram nesse curso que é Projeto Águia e tal. No começo eu não queria ir, o meu negócio é, sabe, colocar a mão no revólver e tal. Lá conversaram comigo que se eu fizesse esse curso ia facilitar a minha saída para a sociedade e tal, e eu fui. Com o tempo eu fui vendo que era divertido o curso, porque você participava de umas cenas, a Kali foi e falou para mim, agora você vai ser o papel da vítima. E no começo eu fiquei, ah, senhora, não vou fazer papel de vítima não, faz outro de vítima, você é um assaltante e tal, eu já sei como que faz, ela falou, não, vamos fazer. E daí eu comecei a entender, sabe, um pouco do sentimento que as pessoas sentiam de, sabe, potência, não, não reação nenhuma e comecei a querer participar mais do projeto e tal. E lá eu aprendi a cortar cabelo e o projeto Águia, tipo, me deu confiança, eles acreditaram em mim. Nem minha família mesmo acreditava mais em mim, sabe? E tudo que eu estava precisando, além do apoio, assim, a Associação Águia pôde me ajudar e tal. E hoje em dia, eu também penso em montar minha escola de barbeiros e trazer muitas pessoas para essa área e para a vida correta. 
E eu agradeço muito a Associação Águia, que pôde acreditar em mim, pôde me dar esperança. E eu sou muito grato por eles. Só de estar aqui hoje, eu acredito que eu já sou vitorioso. Tive diversos problemas com a justiça e tal. Eu era um menino muito imaturo, queria as coisas na hora, era muito ganancioso e tal. E eu optei para a opção do crime, né? Eu comecei um tráfico de drogas, depois comecei a roubar. E aí foi, né? Eu tive diversos problemas, eu fui parar dentro da Fundação Casa. A última internação minha, eu me identifiquei com um projeto. Pilares me deu estrutura psicológica, me ajudou a ter empatia, a aprender empatia, a me colocar no lugar do próximo. Diversas histórias que eu me identificava através do projeto. Eu conheci um empresário, o empresário me deu estrutura financeira para eu poder fazer uma faculdade. Ele me ajudou também com o trabalho e hoje em dia eu sou uma pessoa é, honesta, é, tanto bem para colher o bem. Eu faço faculdade de tecnólogo em radiologia, estou no quarto semestre e o ano que vem, se Deus quiser, eu vou terminar e só coisa boa, só progresso na minha vida. Eu fui surpreendido, assim, através do projeto. Diversos jovens que teve uma história como a minha, através da minha história, eles pudessem identificar e ver que essa vida não vale a pena, que é um caminho que só vai trazer coisas ruins. Eu quero agradecer muito pela estrutura, pela oportunidade que o projeto me deu. Então é plantar o bem para colher o bem. God's good, isn't he? <laughs> um, I'd just like to start by reading from uh, Matthew chapter 25, starting at um, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, And you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. It's such a privilege, such an amazing privilege to be able to serve God um, in Brazil and to see young men like Luis and Hiki and Wallace have their lives literally transformed. They were in the pit. They were totally in the pit. And they would have stayed in the pit because they were boys that just kept reoffending. Um, 
there was really no way for them to get out. And so it's so exciting to see what God has actually done in their lives. The first boy, Luis Enrique, if we could just put the picture of him. That's what he looked like when we met him when he was in the youth prison. Can we just put the next picture? As you know, that's what he looks like now. So the psychodrama is so interesting because... um, what happened was Luis Enrique, he used to steal up to 10 motorbikes a day and hold people up at gunpoint outside the bank. So he was a hardened criminal, as he said in the video, and he wasn't intending on changing. But one day, he put together a scene, and he was the owner of the motorbike, and so he was sitting at the traffic lights, waiting for the, the traffic light to change, and two of his mates came in to hold him up at gunpoint, and I said, freeze. And they all froze. And I said to Luis Nahiki, what are you thinking? And he looked at the boys and he went, no, you can't steal my motorbike. This is my motorbike. I need this motorbike to get to work. I bought this motorbike with my own money. And he said the penny dropped. At that moment, he realized, what am I doing? I do that up to 10 times a day, 10 innocent victims a day, people who are just trying to get to work, people who've bought their motorbike with their own money, and and I'm stealing it off them. And he said something clicked in him, and he decided to change. So when he came out of the youth prison, he did a barber's course, but the problem was he needed some money. And as he said, his family didn't believe in him anymore, so he went to his family and he said, please, can you just give me a bit of money towards the course? And they were like, you're rubbish. You're just a waste of space. We always trust you. You always come out and say you're going to change. You never change. Why am I going to invest in you? Ugh, have it. You know, just gave him five pounds or whatever. So he got the money together and he managed to pay for the first month. And he started the barber's course and then he started cutting hair, you know, of the people around him so he could get the, the next month. And he finished the course and then he set up his own um, little salon, his grandma's garage. And then he rented a space with a friend that they could make their own um, hairdressing salon. And uh, I turned up at this moment, and um, they were trying to paint it and whatever. It was just an empty space. They had nothing. And uh, so I I went and bought a few pots of paint with him. And then on Sunday, I went to my church in San Paolo, and I always talk about the project whenever I preach there. And I I talked a little bit about Luis Enrique. And an American man came up to me at the end of the meeting and he said, I want to help Luis Enrique um, buy everything he needs for his salon. He gave me enough money to buy the chairs and the thing to do, wash the hair and 45 towels and more pots of paint and everything. And so he was able to put together his salon. And um, he's now really um, quite amazing. He, he wins battles, like they go to these big events where they have to do this hairstyle. took him an, over an hour on the day we filmed, but he has to do it in 20 minutes. And, and he wins prizes, um, people all over Brazil that come to these events. So he's doing really well. And as he said, his dream now is to pass it on to others. There are so many boys around him that are involved in drugs and drug trafficking and stealing and are going to go to prison, um, but he wants to help them not, not go to prison. He wants to help them have, have a job and be barbers. So we're really praying for him and working out how we can help him in this next step of his life. So exciting. Um, also, Wallacey, uh, when, when we're in the youth prison, I always um, talk to them about um, dreaming big dreams. When they come out, what, what are they going to do? I always say to them, if you don't reoffend, I'll... I'll um, take you out for lunch, and you can eat whatever you like. So what would you like to eat? So we go around the circle, and they say, oh, McDonald's, or 
chicken and rice and beans or what, whatever they're thinking of. And so I met Wallace C, and he had his favourite food. And uh, so I said to him, what are you going to do then? So he said, oh, just any old thing, you know, I'll just get a job. I was like, no, what's your dream? He said, oh, it's not even worth talking about it. I said, yes, it is. What's your dream? He said, oh, I want to be a radiologist. So I said, well, why not? So he said, well, how am I going to be a radiologist? His elder brother's in prison. His younger brother was murdered at the age of 16. His mum treats him like a visitor. She doesn't even want to know him anymore. And uh, he said, how am I going to pay for a course like that? I said, well, do you want to be a radiologist? He said, yes, I do. I said, do you really want to be a radiologist? He said, yes, I really do. So I said, well, I'm not going to find a course for you. I wouldn't even know where to start. You find the course, you find the, the price, you send it all to me, and I'll find you a sponsor. So he filled up my WhatsApp with all these courses and prices and all this different stuff. And I remembered Marcelo, um, a lovely Brazilian man in my church. Um, he had said to me, I, I want to adopt one of your boys. I want to put him through university. I want to help him get a job. I want to see his life transformed and be able to help him. And Marcelo is a very interesting person because he and his wife came over to England years and years ago. They wanted to learn English. And they started right at the very bottom, doing cleaning jobs, working in hotels, just trying to get money together to pay for the course. They learnt English. And now he's a very successful businessman. He's sort of the equivalent of the vice president of New Look. Um, so a huge women's clothing chain in Brazil. And, and he's one of the top executives. And so he, he said that he'd wanted to sponsor one of the boys. So when I, I, Wallace said this, I thought of Marcelo. So I phoned him up. And he said, yes, he would help. Then suddenly, Wallace phones me and he says, Callie, um, instead of just doing a technical course, could I do the university entrance course? And I have to confess, within me, I thought, mm, I wonder if he'll pass, because, you know, the level of education that they've had is so basic, and I, I wasn't sure, but I said, yes, of course, go for it, dream big dreams, we can do it. <laughs> and he did, and he passed. <laughs> So it's so exciting. Um, so just to see these boys, they're, they're just two examples. We have many boys who are, are doing really well, are working, uh, are studying, have not re-offended. Um, and it's just to, it's so exciting to see what the psychodrama does. I'll never forget one boy. It's Japanese, very unusual to find an Asian in the prison system. And uh, he basically was, was a very, very serious criminal. He was very young, 16 or 17, but he had actually tortured his victims. And so when he came to the group, the member of staff sort of brought him holding his T-shirt like this and said, this one, only God gave him to us. So we um, helped him and uh, made a friendship with him, and he took part in the sessions. And in the evaluation, at the end... He looked at me and he said, Callie, when my psychologist talks to me, it's just blah, 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 blah. He said, when I went into the role of my mum, when I understood what my mum has been through with all the terrible things that I've done, I realised I'm not going to re-offend. And he came out, he's married, he's got two children, never re-offended. And he just realised that the psychodrama um, is such a, such a powerful tool. So that's so exciting. So we also work um, with their families, and um, usually their families are, are in abject poverty, people that um, just really have nothing. I'll never forget one time, I uh, went to a, a favela, a slum, 
and I gave out three food parcels. Um, have we got a picture of the food parcel? Not that one, next one. Yeah, so this is a food parcel that's got rice, beans, flour, coffee, sugar, um, some tinned fish, pasta, just basics that will help keep a family alive. So I took three of these to a favela and gave them out to the families that I'd arranged to give them. And then as I was leaving, uh, an elderly lady, very, very small and very, very thin, came up to me. She said, could I just have a little word? I said, yes, of course. So she took me into her little shack and it was so poor. And she opened this old battered fridge and there was just one little packet of coffee inside. And then she opened the food cupboard and there was nothing there. And she said, I was wondering if you could give me a food parcel. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry, I've just given them all away. But I know there's a supermarket up the road. I can go and get some things that you need. Shall we make a list? So we made a little list of things that she needed. And I went up the road and I came back with the carrier bags. And then um, when, I, when I gave them to her, I thought, well, I, I want to tell her about Jesus. So I actually knelt down because she was so small, I didn't want to be towering over her. And I knelt down, I took her hands, and I looked into her face, and I said to her, do you know Jesus? And she said, oh, yes. This morning I prayed, and I asked him to send a servant to help me, and he sent you. <laughs> and she, she cried, and I prayed, and cried, and I was just like, oh, God, thank you. Thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you for the privilege of just being in the right place at the right time to answer someone's prayer. And uh, we see that happening all the time um, in different ways um, that we can actually be the answer to someone's prayer. Um, I'll never forget uh, one time a couple came out to visit me from Milton Keynes and um, a lady in their church who's now with Jesus, she'd given them 20 pounds and she said, give this to Callie and um, transfer it into um, Brazilian money and then buy a food parcel and then pray about who to take it to. So they brought the money and we did that and we prayed and I felt we should take it to a lady called Hosilda who was very, very poor. She had five children. And so we went in the car, got to Hosilda's house and knocked on the door. When she opened the door, she went like this. <gasps> now I know Jesus is real. And I said, why did you say that? She said, this morning... I put the last rice in the pan. I have nothing to feed my five children. And I cried out to God. And I said, God, if you're real, please send someone to help me. And he sent you. But, but guys, let's just have a little think about this. Because I just love the way God think, does things. Because actually, it wasn't just that day, was it? He touched Sheila's heart in Milton Keynes to give that money that then my friends brought out that we exchanged into Brazilian money, bought the food parcel, and arrived just on the right day <laughs> that Hazilda had prayed. Isn't that awesome? God is, is so awesome. And when we read Matthew 25, you know, we're doing it for Jesus. Yeah, whenever we do anything for the least of one of his, we do it unto him. That's so amazing. Just, can we just go back to the little girl, the one before? So this is Laís. And um, she had terrible, terrible problems with her teeth. And her mum is my friend, and she arrived just in tears. Uh, sorry, her grandma. She was just in tears one day, and she's saying, Lice was awake all night, and she's, she's got holes in her teeth. And I, I saw it. They were like craters in this child's teeth. It was so awful. 
and no, absolutely no way of paying for the treatment. And so, um, in desperation, I phoned my dentist and I said, any chance you know anyone that could help? And so she gave us the number of this lady, the blonde lady on the right. And um, so we, we took Lais along and she, I sat in while she was examining her and, and she was saying, oh, this needs this treatment, that'll be 1,000 hay-eyes and this needs this treatment, that'll be 2,000 hay-eyes and this needs this treatment. And, and I was like kind of, okay, okay, God, well, we'll just pay for this consultation and then we'll see what we can do, you know. So I knew I couldn't, there's no way, not, neither I or the project could pay for that treatment. And, um, and then as we were in the waiting room, just um, waiting at the end to pay, the dentist came out and she said, well, I have a few patients that are um, social patients, so I, I help them for free, and I'll do the whole of Lais's treatment free of charge. <laughs> so you can see the big smile on Lais's face. That's the, at the end of her treatment. Um, and just such, such, such a blessing. Um, we often just need to make the step of faith, and then God meets us, doesn't he? He does the rest, which is just so exciting. I just want to quickly share with you about the women that we're working with now, because um, I went up to speak about the, the boys that we work with in the youth prison um, at a big conference about the church and the prison system in Brazil, and um, a chaplain from a big group of churches in, in um, Sao Paulo was also at this conference, and he heard me speaking and the problem is in Brazil is that um, the churches go in. So, for example, you guys would go in at 10 o'clock on a Sunday, then the Methodists at 11, and then the Assemblies of God at 12, and then the God is God at 1, and then the Jesus is Jesus Christ Church at 2, and it just sort of goes like that the whole day. And it's very superficial, mainly because um, a few years ago there was a riot and six religious workers were held up hostage and so the churches aren't allowed to go into the prisons anymore. They're just allowed to go to a part where there's bars, and then they, the, the women come up to the bars, maybe, you know. So it's very superficial. They can't hug them, and they can't actually really minister to them. And so um, he heard about my work with the psychodrama, and so he said, oh, could you, would you come and speak to my church about it? So I said, yeah, okay. So I went and spoke, and they literally begged me to do a group with the women as a pilot project, so I agreed. I said, it'll just be one group because it's really so far. I have to get up at 5.30 in the morning just to get there by 9 because it's like crazy. I have to cross the whole city of Sao Paulo, um, which is very slow. <laughs> the traffic doesn't really move. Um, and so we started with the women and everyone said, oh, you won't be able to work with the women. They're very hard and they've got barriers up and they won't, they won't you know, get involved or won't want to, to share and it really is the complete opposite. They are so, so needy. And many of them aren't criminals. They're just victims. They were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Their husband or their boyfriend is a drug trafficker. And they were picked up because they were in the passenger seat of the car. And they were given seven years in prison. It, it is so, so sad, their stories. Um, and so we do the, exactly the same as we do with the boys. And so we have a time of sharing. And then we do our scenes and all that stuff. And... It's really funny because like when we, when we start the sessions with the boys, we go around the circle and we say, how are you today? How are you arriving? And so they'll say, good, at peace, hot, you know, kind of usually one word. The women, <laughs> as soon as you put the object in their hand, they're like, oh, and they just like share and they would share for half an hour if we'd let them. But it's so therapeutic and um, some are becoming Christians through it. So that's absolutely so exciting. And uh, 
I obviously couldn't stop doing it, even though it's so far away. So if you could pray for someone that I know to get a helicopter so I could just, like, you know, <laughs> get there a bit quicker. <laughs> um, but uh, so we're now just about to start our third group there. And we've got um, four youth prisons wanting new groups. So we're starting a new one in August with a new psychodrama therapist. Um, so just really exciting the way that the project is growing and getting reputation and everything. Just so excited about that. So my question to you is, we read Matthew 25, and doesn't the Bible say that we're not saved by good works? Our good works don't save us, do they? Um, our good works are like filthy rags to God. So what's all this about Matthew 25 saying that, well, when we do it, we do it for Jesus? Well, actually what Jesus is teaching in this passage is that our good works, we don't do them because we want to be saved. We don't do them to get brownie points. We do them because we are saved. Um, we are blessed, and so we want to bless and it's like giving, isn't it? You don't give to be blessed. You give because you are blessed. And um, I think that's just so wonderful. What a wonderful privilege. And all of us um, are missionaries. What's a missionary? Someone who has a mission. Your mission may be to your family. It may be to your workplace. It may be to your neighbors. It may be to your small group. It may be to the wider community. I don't know. Um, but you don't have to go to China. You don't have to go to France. You don't have to go to Brazil to be a missionary. We are all missionaries. We all have a mission when we're saved. And um, our good works, all that we do, is unto Jesus. It's not about us. It's not about um, getting to heaven. We're already there. We're already um, saved before the creation of the world. And so what a joy we have to be free, to be able to bless others um, in any way we possibly can. can't remember who it was it says, but said... Um, Preach the gospel wherever you go, and if necessary, use words. <laughs> yeah, I think sometimes we get caught up in thinking, oh, what, have I, what can I say? But actually, just showing the love of Jesus is so possible in so many ways. Um, I'm going to end in a, just a couple of minutes. Um, so I just want to, first of all, say, um, please continue praying. And if you don't already get my prayer message, um, please sign up in the main hall there's a table with a notebook, so please put your name and your email and Facebook if you have it. Um, in 2006, I spoke at a, a house group in Milton Keynes, and one of the ladies there who supports me, she said, um, Callie, I really feel we need to pray for you, not just God bless Callie. We need to pray more effectively. We need to pray for the people that you're working with. You really are on the front line um, in ministry, and so we need to pray more. Do you think you could write a prayer message by email every week? So I was like, mm, every week? I'm not sure about that. Missionaries usually send them out every six months. <laughs> well, okay, I do realize I need a lot of prayer, so I, yeah, well, I'll try. And so that was in 2006, and ever since I've been sending out a prayer message um, weekly or fortnightly, and I know that that has made a huge difference in my life and the life of my family and the life of the project. So um, thank you for praying. And if you would like to sign up for that, um, I would really appreciate it. There's also some fridge magnets. Um, so stick us on your fridge. So every time you get the milk out, remember to pray for us. That would be lovely. <laughs> thank you. Um, also on that table, there are some things made by Bia. And Bia is Lais's mum. 
and um, she is very, very poor, and she didn't have a job, so I sat down with her and I said, what would you like to do? Would you like to do a, um, a hairdressing course or a manicure course? Um, what would you like to do? So she said, well, I'd really love to learn to be a dressmaker. So uh, her grandma was a, a dressmaker, and so she, something obviously she, she really loves. So I bought her a sewing machine, and she's paying me back 10 pounds a month. And um, so I commissioned her to make some things to bring over um, to sell. So there's a whole load of things on the table. I really don't want to take them back to Brazil. So if you would like one, if you haven't got any money, just take one. And if you have got some money, um, just give what you think it's worth. You don't have to, I haven't put any prices on, but just leave an offering in the basket and that will be a, a real blessing. Thank you. Um, one of the things that's so important when you work with the poor is that you don't just keep giving them things, is that you teach them to be able to help themselves. And so uh, they talk about it like, don't just give the fish, but give the fishing rod. So Bia's got her fishing rod now, and so we're, helping, we're hoping that we're going to be able to pay for her to do a dressmaking course. Um, these trousers, ta-da, they're made by my dressmaker in Brazil. So I never find anything that's like light enough to not, not to be too hot. And so I went there the other day, and before I came out, and she was just full of work. There was so many things, that, all this material. And I said, do you need an assistant? She said, oh, yes, please. So I said, well, what does she need? What's the basic? She said, oh, she needs a basic dressmaking course. And it's literally round the corner from where Bia lives. So I'm really praying that she can do this course and then start working for this lady. That would be just absolutely amazing. And she can also work at home. She can make things with her own, own machine. Um, there are some leaflets on, on the chairs, and if you would like to support the project, um, there's information there about how to give. Stewardship is the way that um, our support is channeled, and they're absolutely amazing. They're so, so professional, and they, um, they have a commitment that if you give amount, an amount of money, that whole amount gets to me or to the project, and then they take the, their administration fee out of the gift aid. So they really are amazing because some organizations take a really big whack of administration out of your money. So um, stewardship are, are really excellent in that way. Um, things like the food parcels, the, the picture that I showed, um, that's if about £12 a month will pay for one of those um, a month and school materials for a child at the beginning of the year. So a little bit of money goes a long way. Um, Marcelo, who's adopted um, Wallacey, he pays £100 a month for his university fees. I really wish university was that cheap here. But, you know, it's amazing that with um, a small amount of money, relatively, you can actually help somebody change their future completely. So if you, is there any way you'd like to contribute and you don't already, then please get in touch um, through the leaflet. And um, also, I'd like to bring to you a Brazilian boy very dear to my heart, who is my son, <laughs> Benjamin. Um, we've got a picture of Ben and Joe. Some of you may remember them from when they were little. Um, and Ben's the one with the, the beard and the moustache. So his dream is to do university in the UK. And he's decided to take up the offer that he has at Bournemouth University to do cyber psychology. Very, very interesting course, very current um, for this modern world that we live in. Um, but he's considered an international student and isn't entitled to a UK student loan. So we're 
praying about how we're going to pay for him. And if there's anything that you would like to contribute in any way to that, either through an offering or monthly or through a loan, then we would love to talk to you about that. I'm really praying that he has a, an amazing time. Please remember to pray for Ben. It's a big thing, isn't it, coming to a, a different country to do university. Um, but he's very, very excited about the course, and we're excited too. So I'm just going to quickly finish by going back in history a little bit to tell you how God confirmed my call to Brazil. Um, I read a magazine article in 1994 uh, about street children in Brazil, and it touched me very, very deeply. And I began to cry and cry and cry and say to God, oh, Lord, if I can go there and just rescue one street kid, then my life will have been worth it. But, Lord, please confirm it. I don't want to go to Brazil if I'm meant to go to Afghanistan or if I'm meant to go to Germany as a missionary. I want to go to where you're calling me. Please, would you confirm it? I'm a bit of a Gideon, I suppose. You know, I was putting out a fleece. I needed God to confirm it really clearly for me. So I was walking along the seafront in Whitstable in Kent, where I became a Christian, and uh, I was praying and crying and saying, Lord, please, please, just confirm it's meant to be Brazil. And I was looking up at the clouds to see if God was writing, Cali, go to Brazil. But he wasn't. And um, I went into a shop and bought a newspaper. And there on the other side of the road, when I came out, was a skip. You know, the thing that people, where people throw their rubbish. It was a yellow skip and written in red letters across the side, Brazil with an S. It was written in Portuguese. Because, <laughs> of course, we write it with a Z, don't we? And I stopped in my tracks. And I stopped crying. And I started laughing and jumping. And I think the people around me probably thought I was mad. And maybe I am. But uh, I really felt that that was God confirming the call. And what's so precious is that today I work with the rubbish of society. I work with those who've been thrown away that really are no good, that are totally in the pit. And my job is to go to that skip. And you know when people are looking at a skip and find something, an old mirror, and take it home and restore it and put it on their wall. Something someone else had thrown away as rubbish, they make into something beautiful. And that's what God is doing through our ministry in San Paolo. And you are part of that. Yeah, we are the body of Christ, aren't we? I'm the one that goes and hugs, and I'm the one that goes with my eyes to see the need, and I hear the tragic stories, but you are the body that go with me. So I want to thank you so much once again, and God bless you. And I'd love to speak to as many of you as possible afterwards in the main course.